Hey, Kingfield family. Thanks for tuning in to this platform with us on Anchor.fm or whatever platform you were choosing to listen to your podcast on. These are going to be collections of our Coach's Corner, Coach's Talk with coaches, community members, and other friends within our network and the Kingfield family. So, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy. Please, if you want us to bring anything or anyone on, reach out to Danny at CrossFitKingfield.com. Send your suggestions, comments, and we hope to bring more and more fun, more and more connection, and more and more value to you here on this platform. Thanks for listening and enjoy. So let's do this. Let's uh, let's get into it so people know who uh, who you are. So I don't think we have to do a little introduction, but I kind of wanted to center today because. I think there's this like common theme that happens in the coaching world when we get into coaching because generally uh, because we, we like participating in whatever we want to coach. Right. So like we, and this, this spans anything like I like playing soccer. Sure. Kind of sometimes people's natural thought is like, I could coach soccer. I like playing football. I want to coach football. Um, I liked school. I want to be a teacher, et cetera. And I, I think that that's probably true in weightlifting is like the natural next step for people who are really nerdy and deep down inside of it um, generally, you know, want to become coaches. I don't think anybody has ever been a, a coach and not competed beforehand. Um, but do you think that that's like a prerequisite? Like in order to be a good coach, you kind of have to be an athlete first. Do you think that that's something like people should experience? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's super helpful to have competed or, you know, played the sport. Maybe, you know, you don't have to be super competitive or good um, at whatever sport you do, but I think it definitely helps to, um, to have participated in the sport and just so you can speak on it, right? Yeah. Let's say I can't coach my, I can't properly coach a lifter at a, at a meet if I've never experienced it myself. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you could, you know, probably learn as you go, um, but it definitely helps a lot. You can speak on uh, a lot of things and provide more context. So let's uh, to, pull to you athletes. out of uh, the idea of the sport of weightlifting. If you had to like name like two really great coaches, who are the first two people to come to mind in the world of anything who like comes to mind for you? Uh, well, I think of Bill Belichick <laughs> and, uh, I think Phil Jackson. All right. So let's talk about that. Like Bill Belichick, Phil Jackson, why Bill Belichick? Well, he, I think, I mean, for obvious reasons, he's, you know, got multiple rings. Um, he's been in the game for a very long time. He's played football and, um, I mean, I'm not too sure how, you know, good or whatever he was, but he, he's, uh, he's, he's, he's a coach, right? He, he wants to get better. He's always looking for, always scheming, right? Looking for better uh, ways to do things. Um, and he has high standards, right? He, I think we hear all the time, like the Patriot way, right? <laughs> well, um, I think so, yeah. it's, a, I, I mean, that's kind of a layup, but I think that I, I've had a pretty pretty big hunch that you would say Bill Belichick, but he's an example of somebody who isn't like world-renowned for his football career and then mm-hmm. made that next step into coaching. I think that that rarely happens, that 
you know, yeah. um, the best in the world become the greatest coaches, but why Phil Jackson? Is it the same reasons or is, you know, is there something about Phil Jackson that stands out or why, why Phil Jackson? Uh, I, I loved watching Michael Jackson, uh, growing up, you know, playing basketball. So I, that just popped up to my head, but main big reason is, I mean, number one is Bill Belichick. <laughs> totally. Well, I think yeah. and for people who are not coaches or there's athletes, like, I think what's interesting about that is that, um, when I think of those two guys, specifically, the first thing that comes to mind is that, um, they both are known for having a system, right? So like Bill yep, Belichick yep. having the Patriot way and literally can take anybody from Chad Ochocinco to Randy Moss, you know, and bring them into uh, Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez. You see these things. I mean, even linemen, right? They have famed linemen, mm-hmm. um, bring them into this system. And then, and at a moment's notice, no one is expendable or everyone is expendable. No one is, right. Yep. It's, like a, you know, and we just saw that with Tom Brady. Like no one can, you know, is is safe from that idea of that if it doesn't yeah. fit the team. Sorry, man. Don't care if you're the greatest yep. quarterback. Of all time. <laughs> See you later. Um, so yeah. I think that that's interesting because Phil Jackson also has a system in the triangle offense, and and he he implemented this in two places, right? He did this in Chicago, and mm-hmm. he did this in Los Angeles. And so yeah. when I think of those people as coaches, you know, those two men. Yes. I mean, Phil Jackson, I think, had a little bit better basketball career than Bill Belichick's football career, um, respectively. But two, they're known for their accolades, which came later after the quote unquote, like tip of the spear. Because I think a lot of times when we're athletes and we're thinking about trying to compete in what we want, these are rightfully so selfish endeavors. But Mm -hmm. there comes a point in time when if you want to engage in coaching, you have to realize that you still need to be selfless and you're, you have to put your own ambitions aside and, you know, I mean, and really go for it. So I'm curious as it pertains to kind of your story, right? Like today, you know, we said that we were going to talk about this transition from athlete to coach and whatnot, but and I think we'll get to that. But I'm curious as to like, when you started weightlifting or you started coaching and maybe we stay like, on the fringes, we don't have to talk specifically just about weightlifting, but when you started okay. competing or coaching, did you start like, at, even at a young age, cause I know you participate in sports. Did you start paying attention to like coaches you liked or respected or admires? Did like, did you notice that stuff or were you just playing sports? Were you just out doing your thing? Uh, I think I just was playing sports. I think I just want, I, I enjoyed it. I just want to have fun. Uh, but you know, as you, I was going through high school. I, I guess it's more of a self exploration thing, right? I played sports in high school, went to college, not really sure what I want to do. I knew I wanted to be somewhere in fitness or like, um, health, you know? Um, and I, I think, I mean, yeah, that's a really good question. Now that I think about, it, I'm not even really sure why, or when I wanted to start coaching, I just got really into fitness and my, like on my own journey. And I'm like, Oh, I think I can help others. Right. But now when you start helping others, do you think about like, do you ever have those flashbacks? This happens for me sometimes, but do you have flashbacks thinking back to like, 
when you were a kid and you're, you know, you're at practice and so-and-so was acting out or like, did you ever like, has that ever happened to you? Or you like those moments stand out of like, Oh man, like, yeah, that was, that person was a great coach or I did learn a lot then like more so than you think. Have you ever had that experience? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like high school football coaches, um, my uncles were, uh, a big influence in my life as well. Um, outside of just playing sports too, you know, Sure, um, sure. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think for people that are coaches and want to do coaching and movement specifically or in team sports, there's so much more that goes into it. Right. But yep. ultimately, um, and I've had this personal experience, you know, of making that decision to shift into coach mode rather than athlete. But for you, when did, when did that start happening and what was that internal dialogue? Cause I got to watch it, you know, from mm-hmm. my, my point of view, but like, when do you think you started kind of making that transition to I'd rather rather coach more so than compete or you know which you know because obviously one of those has won out but what was that yeah. like for you? I think it's probably like midway through 2017 where you know it really started to hit me um I think that was yeah that was my last year being super competitive or as competitive as I can be in the sport. Um, and I, I think, yeah, you, 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 you saw this happen where I would run into uh, just conflicts of like, Oh, okay. You know, you're coaching and you're competing at the same time at a meet, you know, and it doesn't always go the way you want it to. Right. You're I'm thinking, I'm okay. I'm, I got these athletes going. Okay. I'm lifting the next session. <laughs> oh fuck! I gotta make weight, you know. <laughs> so I'm 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 thinking about my lifters. I guess like I'm thinking about myself, and then I'm trying to think ahead too. Later, right for the later sessions. So it it, it was a lot. Um. So I just finished up 2017, and I um was really happy with how I finished my last uh, American Open, and then from then it was pretty easy transition to coaching because that's always um been a passion uh once i started crossfit so i think making this transition was really was easy but you know i do have i do like miss it right miss competing and i I do miss those like long training sessions um where you're just kind of grinding through and just working Uh, but yeah i'd say midway through 2017 so did you feel like at some point did you ever like walk away from training or walk away from coaching and you're just like, I'm not doing either of these to the capacity that I want to, you know, like I'm kind of doing both. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. That that's definitely what I was feeling in 2017. Um, and I think a big, uh, like, um, I guess big motivator for me is to like when I first started weightlifting um, or like just, any sport like you know every coach is not perfect right we're not perfect and there are certain things i wish my coaches did for me mm-hmm. you know and so i think about that for my 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 athletes and i'm like okay you know what what is it what was it that i wanted you know that i never got um, and how can i uh, give that to my uh, my athletes uh, so that's a big motivator for me um, and then just, you know, uh, just, 
yeah i think i think you said it, you put it really well there like i was kind of this way and that way and like it didn't really work out so um decided just to shift to the coaching so i'm curious about um a little bit of i have two questions two questions is this is like if we go back to bill belichick and phil jackson we'll start here they have mm-hmm. their own system and their system is based on experience you know they like the best coaches in the world can you know, there's that saying game recognize game, but like you can only articulate what you can comprehend. Right. And if it makes sense to you, you know, that's what you want to build your foundation off of. And if you're just mimicking other people, you're actually not truly understanding, you know, like we, as coach, you know, on our staff, we talk about this difference between learning and understanding and that learning is the process to arriving at understanding. But, you know, if you see, I'm sure you've seen coaches who are just shouting out generic cues and things that, you know, they took an online course or a weekend seminar. And now this yeah. is makes sense, right? So I'm just going to yell heels, heels, heels as loud as I can, because <laughs> it seems like that's what you're supposed to do when it may in fact be applicable at that moment. It, it may not, but um, who's to judge? My question for you is then how did you start developing your own system? Because now, I mean, you have a system, like you have a way that you bring in people from zero experience to, you know, competition ready you have a way of looking at people who are seasoned athletes and still being able to help them explore and expand and grow. Like, so how did you start to put together your system and you know, what influenced that? Yeah, I think, um, me, myself, I'm, I like to learn. I'm, you know, I'm, I like to look at myself as like a student. Um, so I think trying to, I mean, even early on without even realizing I wanted to, I wanted my athletes to um, to learn, not just do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, kind of what you said, learning versus understanding. So I would try to promote a learning environment and over time get athletes to understand what it is that they're doing. Like how do I, you know, how does this actually feel to pull into the bar? Um, how to feel the midfoot when you're squatting? Um, so I... I yeah, now that I think about it, without it even realizing, I've, I've always tried to promote a learning environment and get athletes to, to learn. Because um, I think people have a big misconception of what coaching and athletics, like, you know, it's like when I think of football back in the day, it's like, oh, just coach tells us to go run and we go run, right? We do 50 up downs and some stuff and we get punished, but that's not really what shit's coaching hard. is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that, that's not what coaching is. And that's not what I, what athletes shouldn't kind of view it, it as. And I think with my kind of the way I come off, I think sometimes uh, that's what people get from me, but um, no, but with time, I, I think, it's yeah it's it's just about learning right if i can get the athlete to learn and understand um their body a bit more um then i've achieved my goal so then i think that's under that's interesting because what you're saying if i'm understanding you correctly is that coaching is much more about how you communicate and especially in the beginning but also throughout it's like how you communicate and you're choosing to communicate and you choose to communicate in a way that promotes, um, promotes a learning environment, but it doesn't, it it still puts the responsibility on the athlete. Like they still got to do the work, 
You know, I mean, like, right. yep. you don't do the work, you're not going to learn. If you don't learn, you're not going to understand. And you're not going to just do it for them or try to like, you know, kind of shield them from the things that are coming. But my question to you then is how do you choose to communicate? Like what type of communicator are you? Because there, as we've seen, you know, being at national level meets and local meets, you'll see many different styles of communication, but what do you feel best suits your personality uh, as a coach? Like in terms of how you communicate with your athletes? Uh, I've, let's just say, I think it'll help me if I talk about, if I take, take us through like a, like a beginner, like a person who walks into the, the gym and, and, and how am I approach sure. that? So, um, I, let's just say they, they, uh, they have prior lifting knowledge. They know how to snatch and clean it up already. Um, they're just looking to get, um, a little bit better and get some good programming or whatever. So I, I like like to just get to know people, right? You know, weightlifting aside, um, I don't care how much you snatch or squat. Let's just, you know, what kind of person are you? What motivates you? Um, I like to joke around a little bit, you know, build a little bit of rapport and, and, and a connection. And then, you know, we can get into some specifics with weightlifting. But uh, I think if I get to know the person and we get to build a connection and, and develop a relationship over time, uh, that's where I think then that's when the coaching really happens. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say, yeah, just communication and, and, and building relationships, I think is the biggest part. So you're a patient communicator then is what I'm hearing. Cause it's like, yeah, <laughs> you're not trying to come in day one and just like throw the download on them and be like, all right, here's what you're doing. Like, it's just, let me watch, let me learn, let me kind of like take my time to make my way in there for, you know, playing for a lasting relationship. I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Uh, for those listening that might not know kind of the sport of weightlifting, can you tell us just in a general way what like, uh, like what a competition entails? So like if, if you're going to compete, like from the athlete perspective, what can the athlete expect if they are signing up for a weightlifting meet? Yeah. So let's say if you, uh, let's just say, yeah, you're in Minnesota, you know, we, we get we, the meets, you can find meets on the LWC, uh, webpage, which is, which is a janky, uh, website that you, <laughs> you can go look up the meets you sign up and, uh, you know, you communicate with your coach, like, Hey, I'm doing this meet. Uh, can we make this happen? Can we plan for this? Yes. Great. Show up. Uh, let's say the meet is at Kingfield. We've hosted several meets. Um, I guess what, what do so you, you, so I think you want me to walk them through, Danny? What I'm trying to get at is that if people are new to the sport of weight, like we talk right about like competition and weightlifting, but mm -hmm. people don't know that a real, a competition for an athlete, you get six attempts, right? Okay. Okay. You get six attempts and that, from there's the athlete side of that of what you can expect. And then there's the coach's side of what you can expect. And I have only in my, you know, extensive background of coaching weightlifting only experienced the coaching side of it. But I think from the athlete perspective, um, and for those people that might not be so clear about the sport of weightlifting and what it is, uh, you know, I think that it's important that we kind of highlight for them a little bit about what that day looks like, because it is truly, um, 
once you understand, I think what it, what it entails to go out and do that, mm. I think you have so much more respect. And also it's like an appreciation for the amount of work that puts in, because why on earth would someone train four to five days a week, 90 to two hours a day, just because, right? I mean, yeah, so, yeah. so from your perspective as an athlete, like in a general sense, you sign up for a weightlifting meet. What do you, what, what's kind of your expectation of that day? Like, what are you, what are you going to go, you know, what are you going to prepare your mind for? Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, you know, leading up to the meet, I liked, even at my first meet ever, I, I just tried to pretend like I've done it before, even yeah. though I've never done it before. Like, like I have no idea how the meet goes. Um, so <laughs> I, I, I remember, I think I showed up early and I was just kind of watching what people were doing. Um, but you know, once I kind of got that, that, got past that first meet and kind of developed my own routine, I would, I would still do the same thing. Pretend like I've been there before, I, you know, don't ask a bunch of questions. I like to just observe, um, after weigh-ins, right. I like to kind of be away from people, find a little quieter spot, just to kind of relax because there's lots of nerves going right. So just relax, breathe, lay down, maybe close my eyes for a little bit. Um, and, on competition day, it's all about, for me, it's all about just positive self-talk, right? Like, I got this, I got this. You can do this, Chris. You know, today's the day you get to um, show off what you've been working on, right? On the platform to everyone else to, to who's watching. Um, let's say we start warming up. You know, I'm not a big headphone or music kind of guy, so I just, I don't do that. Um, I like to get extra time to kind of warm up my body and move the bar around. Um, and I'm like, I'm a very, like a technical guy, right? So I like to focus on certain cues and my, how I'm lifting that day. So I'll, you know, make sure I have extra time and I communicate that with the coach, right? You, Danny, uh, you've been there at almost every meet. Um, I make sure to communicate, you know, what I want to do and how much time I want and then, you know, um, you, I gotta let, let the coaches do their job. I think many times what I've seen at, at national meets and local meets is lifters kind of want to have both hands on the steering wheel and they want to direct the show, but that's not how it works. <laughs> uh, so, you know, trusting your coach or coaches that they're going to, um, take you the right way and you do your job, right? You just lift. Um, and I think, you know, over time we've improved our system and um, it's gotten better and better uh, every time. So that's a super interesting thing to, to highlight though, of like, you know, allowing uh, like the athlete gets to be selfish all the way up to the prep phase. Mm -hmm. As soon as the meet starts <clears throat> now in the coach's hands, because one person needs to be making decisions and one person needs to be lifting. And yeah. if that same person is lifting and trying to make decisions, in our experience, we've seen that that goes really poorly. So how long did it take you to arrive at that concept? Like, I have to let the coaches do the job. Was that something from the beginning you were okay with, you know, offloading it to me to make that? Or, um, or did you have struggle with that from time to time about like really – you know, hands-off approach and just, just showing up to compete. 
Yeah, I think in the beginning it was definitely it's kind of I've kind of gone back and forth. In the beginning it was like I know nothing. So, okay, let's do whatever, you know, and I don't even remember uh, what it was like, but as I became more knowledgeable and I started learning how to count and um coach at these meets, I started thinking about oh that that started that started to affect how how my meets went because let's say you know back when you and josh were both there and we started like started competing yeah as i was lifting i was thinking about what i would what i would do as a coach right and and that really affected how the my mood and how i was lifting and what i needed to do was just just let it go right just trust you and josh to uh make it happen and all i needed to do was lift and um, and that didn't help any of us, right? I, we, I created a, a weird vibe and a weird environment in the back room. Um, I wasn't happy. I made you and Josh feel weird. Um, so I think after that, I think I remember it was Star of the North 2016. Back Same in that, that warm ass gym. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's when I, you know, after that meet, I thought about it for, for a while. I'm like, man, that wasn't fun um i need to just let it go so i think after that it was it got a lot better um so yeah <laughs> so what happens then um so now we're thinking about this transition right so you have again going back to that initial question i'm an athlete participated in sport i kind of know how this thing goes and now all of a sudden i want to be a coach i want to coach people and you know, the natural thing is like, hey, we, we don't just train, we have a game day. So it's like, it's not like I just practice football to practice football. You want to go play other teams, mm -hmm. uh, kind of see where you're at. So now you've got, you know, a few years of experience and you're getting into the coaching world. How would you describe, because I think you did a really great job of kind of describing what it's like from the athlete perspective is you, you know, you weigh in generally two hours before you compete and then you got to try to find a way to calm nerves you know, and then, and then you got to kind of find a way to bring yourself up and pay attention to who you're competing against, but, but not necessarily pay attention to who you're competing against and then try to go through your same routine and, and then lift. I mean, that is, that is the essence of what athletes deal with on game day. On the other side of the coin, what's it like from your coaching perspective? If somebody wants to go to a meet, like when does your, what is your mindset on, on that side of the coin? When do you start thinking about things? Um, you know, kind of what are your responsibilities and then how do you, how have you evolved in your thinking that way? Yeah. So, uh, try as a coach, try to, I just try to show up early and be there for the athlete, right? Let's say, you know, you weigh in two hours before, uh, you lift, uh, try to show up, um, 30 minutes to an hour after weighing, right. Uh, check in with the athlete, make sure they have everything they need, just be present and that depends on the athlete, right? Some athletes are more nervous than others. Some are just fine. They've been here before. So, you know, you don't, you don't have to be there like super on time, but be there, right? I think just being present um, helps a lot, helps calms nerves. And you let the lifter know that you have their back. Once, as you get closer to um, uh, the start time of the session, I am, I'm at the table counting, right? You know, let's say if the lifter is one of the first lifters to open up, <clears throat> I, I'm starting thinking about, okay, what time do we need to start picking up the, um, start warming up? 
potentially pick up the barbell um, and then just start timing each each uh, attempt before we go out onto the platform. I think you know a big uh, big fault some big faults that we see are athletes who warm up too long or coaches who start their athletes way too soon and they they're snatching an hour you know before they actually lift and they're like super warm right um, or, or and then the reverse too coaches who have their athletes warm up too late and they have to rush um, through uh, their warm-ups both which you know we've gone through before um, but <clears throat> there's that and then once the you know competition starts like and we start we're in the kind of in the kind of in the weeds of all all of it um, it's just you know, I think before let's say before the meet starts, I would communicate with the the the, the athletes like, hey, today, today nothing else matters, right? I just need you to lift. Tr let's trust all the work and the training that you've put in, and let's let's make it happen, right? And, and you empower them, and you, and you give them some, you give them the confidence, because that day I I can't. I'll always like be there for them, right? I'm I might have to be at the table counting. Uh, I might have to go back and forth communicating um, with my other coaches. Or let's say we got multiple lifters in a session. Uh, the athlete has to be able to make it happen, right? Um, so I try my best to communicate that to the to the, to my lifters um, beforehand. Um, but yeah, it's all it's a there's it's like there's like a certain strategy to it, but not really, right? It's like you have a plan, but the plan never goes as planned. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those people that know, who have never um, experienced weightlifting from a coaching perspective, and you've just spectated or haven't spectated, in the sport of weightlifting, the barbell, the weight on the bar only moves up, never moves down. And so uh, as coaches, we have to make calls as to what we want our athletes to lift. And then um, you have to make those uh based on their ability, but also you have to kind of take in the landscape of the session. What I mean by that is um, the order in which they're going to lift depends on what other weight people in the session are lifting. And so therefore we've experienced at large national meets where Chris has had one lift and then has not had his a second, he has not had a second attempt for like 35 minutes. And so there's a whole strategy on how you keep your athletes engaged there. Um, conversely, we've had, you know, sessions where we were, <laughs> warming up lifters. And then all of a sudden we thought we had 15 minutes and now we have three, you know? And so there's, there's things that go on. Um, and I think once the relationship is really strong between the athlete and the coach, what that does is that just showcases both parties, coach and athletes ability to be adaptable, um, which is important. My question to you is on game day, are you giving technical cues about things they should be thinking about in terms of form or technique? Are you literally giving them stuff to think about that way? Or is it kind of like the haze in the barn? We've done this work now, just mindset and a lot of positivity. Like what is your approach that way? Yeah. My the first approach would be to not give a whole lot of coaching cues, right. And technical cues, uh, unless needed, right. Maybe you just give, you know, some reminders like, hey, hey I want you to uh, make sure you just get a little stronger in that setup before you lift. Um, hey, keep pulling. Just simple cues like that because, yeah, I mean, game day, there's so many things you're thinking about. You know, you're thinking about your competition. You're thinking about, oh, I don't want to miss my first lift. Um, 
oh, I got to go pee. It's like there's so many things going on um, that there's almost like no time to think about cues and you don't oh. want to throw anything else at your, at your lifter. Um, so yeah, I <clears throat> don't say a whole lot more. So it's just kind of like staying calm. Uh, cause I feel like the calmness, uh, it, it keeps the, la- the lift- lifter calm too. Right. If I'm kind of like, Oh shit, we got to do this. We got to do that. I need you to, uh, pull at your elbows and stay strong in your catch and then stand and hold it. Right. It's like <laughs> the athlete's going to freak out. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I try to be calm and, and I don't say a whole lot, just more so some small reminders and just kind of, uh, just just keeping keeping the flow going right well i think it highlights the fact that your coaching style and and um we're talking more about the adaptive strategy is that from day one you're working on the rapport and building that so that that is kind of like money in the bank on game day right like you spent that work building the rapport day one so that when you get to those competition days i already know your energy i know your ticks i know your movement i've paid attention to it I haven't filled all that space of your training time with telling you about my life and the things that are going on and been watching your athletes. And I, and, you know, and I think that that's something that you and I've done really well is just spent so much time around each other. I know how mm-hmm. it works, but you know, for coaches who are still trying to do this juggling act of, I want to coach and I want to compete And the, the, the fact is, is they might be really, really talented athletes and they might be really talented coaches. Both might exist. But the higher you get, you know, in both of those respective, um, you know, endeavors or positions, you know, the more things you're going to have to sacrifice to continue to see progress. So what Mm -hmm. would you say to somebody who is struggling with this right now? How How do you make a decision one way or another? I'd say, I mean, what, you know, what do you value more, right? Um, And there's, there's no right or wrong, you know, if you want to compete at a high, higher level and you want to um, see what you can do, like, hey, go for it, you know, and you can coach later on. And then you can, and you can, be, you can be a much better coach later on and just focus on being an athlete. That doesn't make you selfish or, or self-centered or anything, right? Like, that's what you want to do and go do it, you know? But, you know, if you want to coach and you don't, maybe you, you don't see yourself, um, if just for example, like I'm not going to go to the Olympics, right? Okay. I don't need to spend, uh, 20 sessions a week, uh, doing this. Uh, I have a group of lifters that I, um, I want to take care of and I want them to help progress. Uh, Hey, maybe, maybe I, I can put more time over there and less time training. Um, so, so yeah, that, that would, that would be my recommendation. Just kind of figure well, out what like you, you want. To, sounds like you have to be honest with yourself, right? And yeah, how, yep. much, how much of that really comes into at some point you have to be honest about, you know, what your end range capacity is, you know, like yep, yep. you're competing in the 81 kilo class, right? You need to know, and you want to remain competitive. How attainable are the numbers that are, you know, at the top of your field or, you know, what, what is it going to be? Because I think that that is probably um, something that unfortunately, I mean, if you can love the sport of weightlifting, but you need to be realistic about what you're capable of, you know, and like that entails right. far more than just physical strength, but what is your lifestyle support? 
those around you, who are you responsible for? Is, are you going to be able to continue to do this? And if so, you know, as we've seen, I don't think there's ever been a great world record performance where someone's been like, I did this part time, you know, they're always <laughs> yeah. thanking yeah. somebody that did, took everything off their plate so they could do this one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so for you now, how often do you think about competing? Like, when does this come up for you? Uh, I competed last year, so I was thinking about it, but it was more so to kind of, um, keep myself moving, you know, yeah, it was more of a personal, I guess you could say personal challenge, uh, something to look forward to, to keep me training. Cause I got into a slump of not doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, that was fun and easy, <laughs> but yeah. not, not, uh, probably not the best thing for my health. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, you know, if you're, if you are a coach and you, you know, uh, catch yourself kind of getting into this, like, uh, like pattern of, uh, putting too much energy there, like I would recommend maybe, maybe signing up for a local meet, you know, just something to kind of keep you going. Um, I think that's super healthy. Um, again, being honest with yourself and how much time you can really put to that and, um, just, uh, like lowering your expectations a little bit, right? Like when I competed last year, I, yeah, I could have, you know, set goals to qualify for some other meet, but I didn't because I knew what my priorities were. Um, yeah. So, yeah. No, I think that's really helpful because I mean, I think it just because you make a decision to move one way or another into one camp coaching or athlete, and in your case, coaching, doesn't mean that the other isn't a possibility. Again, it's just, mm-hmm. just about being realistic. And I think in the sport of weightlifting, it's a very, uh, it's a very honest sport in which hundred kilos is a hundred kilos. Yeah. <laughs> 200 kilos is 200 kilos. And like, it literally comes down to your ability to lift weights and continue to, um, put in the time and put in the effort because when you start to reach the top, I mean, we have the, the fortune of, uh, watching Anthony train. And I mean, like, the kid fights for one kilo PRs. He'll work six months for a one kilo PR, you know, mm-hmm. and then he's ecstatic. And, and I thought about that, that one time, it's like, man, I mean, he's elated probably because it works, you know, the, the, the training he's put in, the time he's put in starting to pay off. But yeah, it's, I think it's a very interesting um, thing for people. And I think it's a necessary conversation to start having with yourself when you, you know, engage in the, you know, the career of coaching, because who are you serving? If you're serving yourself, this is no longer a job. This is right. Your hobby is coaching to serve your passion competing. But if you love to coach and then you have this hobby of competing from time to time, that's, you know, that I think is a much healthier and longstanding relationship because uh, in our case, we've seen, you know, we've been at national meets when the coaches are, they're all about themselves. Like they showed right. up at meet to be in the back room to just make a presence and, who they are coaching means nothing. And so, uh, no, Chris, thank you for this. I really appreciate it. I think it was, uh, I just wanted to do some fun short show today where we could talk about that. Cause you know, I think with the evolution and the growth of Kingfield barbell, um, I think that it's success and continued success really parallels your commitment level. And, you know, I don't think many people appreciate the sacrifices that you've made, you know, and especially taking, um, taking a back seat with your own personal endeavors, but being there to show up. So, Thank you from the community as I know they, uh, 
they much appreciate that. So other than that, man, um, do you have anything else? Uh, no, I mean, I thought this was good. I think, yeah, I mean, I guess just sum this up, you know, like priorities, being honest, right? So, yeah, put in the word. Yeah. Cool, man. All right, well, I'm sure we'll have many more of these. We'll talk soon. All right, thanks, Danny.